Okay, good evening, everybody. A very special thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Maxine and Harry Greenwald for sponsoring the shear tonight. The shear is sponsored in honor of Chava Bas Chaim Shaya. Shaya. And she was Mrs. Greenwald's mother. And it sounds like the whole family was very close to her. And a lot of uh, Baruch Hashem, continued growth, and the, uh, the menschlichkeit we see in the Greenwald family, I'm sure, goes straight back to the, uh, the mother and the great-grandmother. Her neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. Topic tonight is breaking free, embracing struggle and discomfort. Sounds like an enjoyable conversation, right? What we will not be doing this evening is we will not be exploring reasons why we suffer, why we go through challenges, why we have to uh, get into awkward situations with friends or family. The theology or the, uh, the ideology of suffering is something well beyond and above what we'll be uh, getting into this evening. However, what I would like to do is focus on the how, not the why, but the how. What do we do with these situations? How can we view it from a place of growth, a place of fortitude to actually utilize the situation or the relationship to take me to the next rung of the ladder and to be able to transform myself in the positive versus crumble under the, uh, the stress of the moment. So not the why, but the how. We begin a new Sefer this week, and we hear about the beginnings of the Shibud Mitzrayim, the beginnings of the slavery in Egypt. Uh, interesting, we have a few Kabbalistic sources as to why this whole, this whole time was necessary. Why did the Jews have to go down to Mitzrayim? Why did they have to be enslaved for hundreds of years? What was the overall goal of this experience? So we turn back to Parshas Vayigash. This is when Yaakov Avinu hears that Yosef was alive and well, living in Mitzrayim, being in a position of power. And he decides to make that, that move that would change the destiny of the Jewish people forever he decides to move his family down to Egypt. Along the way, he has a vision. Hashem communicates with Yaakov Belayla in the evening, which is very significant. But Hashem says to Yaakov, Anochi Akel, Avicha, I am the God, the God of your father, Altira, do not be afraid. Merda Mitzrayma, but continue the journey to go down to Mitzrayim. Kilagoi Godolasimchasham, I will make you into a great nation there. Don't be afraid. Continue the journey, and you should know you're going to prosper. You're going to become a wonderful, magnificent nation. So the Orachayim was bothered by many very basic fundamental questions on this particular communication, on this prophecy that Hashem was sharing with Yaakov. First of all, 
What exactly was the fear? What was this anxiety that Yaakov had as he was making his trip to Mitzrayim? Second, writes the Orachayim, is if he was afraid of the gullus, of the exile that was about to start, and obviously it was told to Avram, and Avram shared this information with his child and his grandchild, they were well aware of the fact that at some point in time the Jews would leave the land of Canaan, migrate to Mitzrayim, and that would be the beginning of the Shibud, that would be the start of the slavery. That was the fear of Yaakov. How exactly was Hashem addressing that fear? Was He telling him, Al Tira, don't be afraid? Why not? <laughs> Mitzrayim was Nazi Germany. We're not going to get into all the, the gory details that we find in the Midrashim, but it was genocide. And they knew full well this was going to happen once we get to Mitzrayim. Not right away, but this is what we have to look forward to. So how in the world is Hashem comforting Yaakov? Don't be afraid. Why? I am afraid. And he didn't say, don't worry, it's not really going to happen. It is going to happen. You're walking into World War II. You're on the train right now to Auschwitz. That was the feeling, that was the trepidation of Yaakov. It sounds like Hashem was trying to console him on some level, trying to comfort Yaakov by telling him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. There in Mitzrayim, I'm going to make you great. How is that comforting? Okay, it's nice, we're going to have a lot of people. Perhaps it also means qualitatively we're going to thrive on, on some level. But how is that addressing the fear that Yaakov was experiencing? And those are some of the questions raised by the Orachayim. So I'm going to share with you two Kabbalistic ideas. The first one is uh, somewhat famous, quoted in the name of the Rashbi, the author of the Zohar. And the second one we'll see comes from the writings of the Arizal. Arachayim quotes the, the Rashbir of Shem Barachai, and he says, We know from those Kabbalistic giants, there's an idea that the more Tumah, the more impurity there is in any particular area, at the same time, the yin and the yang, there's also commensurate to the tumma you have tahara. You have purity and kedusha and sanctity. They, they, they live with each other. That's the balance of all of the world. Every gullus that we've experienced, every exile the Jewish people have been through, writes the Rashbi, is with one intent, with one goal, and that is to gather those holy sparks that are somehow hidden within the klipos. What are klipos? We don't know exactly, but they're levels of impurity, they're layers of tumma, and within the tumma there's kedusha. How in the world do you extract kedusha? Do you bring out the sanctity from the impure? You have to be the kind of person where somehow you become a magnet, where you yourself imbibe or really are infused with so much sanctity, 
somehow you bring the Kedusha to you. That was the personality of Yaakov Avinu. So explains the Orachayim, Hashem was comforting Yaakov. Don't be afraid. Although there are difficult times ahead, and you are going into Mitzrayim, you're on the train to Auschwitz, but realize this experience will somehow be Litova, will be beneficial for the future of Paul Yisrael. You will be settling here, and you're not going to live there. You're not going to stay there, rather, and, and then eventually go back home. You're going to die there. Right? Baruch Hashem, don't worry, you're going to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, but you're going to live the rest of your life in Mitzrayim, but this will start the process of Geula, that process of redemption, which is somehow gathering in, incorporating those elements, those aspects of Kedusha, bringing them into Klal Yisrael. It's a very vague, very cryptic idea, but that's one concept shared by the Orachai. I want to focus, though, on the second, uh, the second factor. We know that Mitzrayim was called the Kur HaBarzel. This is based on a famous verse in Yirmiya. Kur HaBarzel literally means the iron crucible. It was a place where the analogy was you could take metal with impurities, that it wasn't, you know, fine and, and smooth. And by going through the crucible, you could somehow come out as a whole different level of gavra, a whole different uh, uh, quality. That was the definition of Mitzrayim. Egypt was the Kur HaBarzel. Explains the Arizal. And this is quoted from Rav Yitzchak Isaac Chaver. He was one of the great disciples of the Vilna Gon. He was actually a second-generation disciple. But he quotes the Arizal and he says as follows. Just like when you have any form of metal and you're melting it to the point where you're really clarifying it and you're making it smooth and solid, that was the experience of Mitzrayim. The Jews went in, the family of Yaakov, B'nai Yisrael, they went into Mitzrayim. They had tremendous potential that needed to be unlocked. It needed to be unleashed. The experience of Mitzrayim, says the Arizal, was bringing that potential out of them. So in contrast to the Rashbi, it wasn't just gathering external aspects of Kedusha and somehow bringing them in. But it was a process of delving into ourselves, finding that potential, and bringing it forth. The analogy he shares is amazing. He says, the analogy we find from the Rizal is just like when you plant a seed. What happens when you plant a seed, right? The germination process. If you were to tell anyone this process, who's never experienced it before, they would be blown away and they would consider it an absolute stunning open miracle. You have this little tiny brown thing that looks like it's absolutely worthless. It, it does nothing. Somehow you bury it in the soil and it has the basic ingredients for life. It has the nutrients from the soil. It has water. It has light. It'll have oxygen. 
And within this tiny little seed, although we don't even know really how it works, right, we fully don't grasp the process, there's, there's, there's food, there's nutrients that are there to keep this seed alive long enough for it to totally decay. It falls apart. And what it happens before it even starts to sprout and grows up above ground, the first thing that happens is it begins to take root. If you've ever seen, they have, uh, you know, I'm sure there are many different videos of this, but you can see the process of a seed being placed in the soil and expanding out, the decay, the, the, the destruction of the seed with roots going down, and then eventually, right, the plant starts to sprout above the surface of the soil. Said the Arizal, that was the experience in Egypt. That was Shibud Mitzrayim. The slavery, the subjugation of the Jews in Mitzrayim destroy the seed in order for it to sprout. The second analogy that the Arizal gave was, it's similar to conception. I have a little tiny microscopic embryo and as it grows into a fetus and the miracles of developing inside of the womb, it was that development process that was taking place in Mitzrayim. What was the birth? The birth of the nation explains the Arizal. That was Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. That was leaving Mitzrayim. That was the Exodus. But the formulation, the creation of the human being, or in this case of our nation, that all took place in the Korah Barzil, in the Iron Crucible. Those are two Kabbalistic concepts as to why those hundreds of years of slavery were somehow needed. Not explaining all of the why. We can't explain why did some people suffer more than others. This was the process that produced a different human being that was able to create the future of Klal Yisrael, the Kur HaBarzo. This is true on a national level, as we saw from the Rashbi. This is the, the reason, or at least the product of every Gullus we've been through. But it's also true on a personal level. When we go through suffering, when we go through challenges and struggles in life and relationships and medical scares and financial downfalls, somehow that's the seed that's crumbling, that's being destroyed within the soil, but it's giving us the opportunity, it's giving us the potential to use it to sprout and create a whole different being. If you were to fast forward, hundreds of years and you find this magnificent, majestic tree soaring in the sky. Ever been to the Redwoods in, in California? Right? These trees are massive. But where did it come from? Where did it start? From one tiny little seed. Every aspect of our lives, the Inui, the suffering, the struggle, that's breaking down the seed but that gives us the ability to transform ourselves and become an entirely different human being. There's an amazing Gemara in Tainus. The Gemara says that, Amar Rabba, Haid Surfam Midirabanan, is a source number five, a young Talmud scholar, 
The analogy is Dami Lepartsida de Tusi Kala, the Kivan the Novat Novat. He's similar to the seed under the clod of earth. Once it sprouts and begins to develop, it keeps on growing and increasing. That's the analogy given for someone who's starting off in their, in their process of learning. In the Nitziv, who was the great Rosh Hashiva of Velazhin, he has his Sefer Merome Sada where he explains what exactly is the analogy? What is the Gemara telling us? So writes the Nitziv, the, uh, the marshal here, the metaphor is that the seed under the soil is really by itself it can't just choose to sprout unless the people who plant the seeds they basically leave them alone and they allow them to stay there and begin to rot and only after they decay then we have the potential for this formation, for the germination process. Now it becomes an entirely different creation. Says the Nitziv, that's the application to one who begins to learn Torah. In order to achieve greatness in any aspect of Torah, the first step needs to be I go through that iron crucible. I go through the pain and the suffering and I experience the blood, sweat and tears. Only then, ad then you could begin to sprout, v'yatze l'or kavodo, and come out into the light and the glory of the Torah. So it's on a national level that the suffering can bring a different level, a different quality of nation. And it's true on a personal level, what we go through, what we need to go through to actually tap into our greatness. Struggle is the womb of our greatness. I want to share with you a personality that we haven't quoted so often. A man by the name of Rav Yaakov and uh, for those who are familiar, he was one of the people of Rav Kook. Actually, in his own diary, in his writings, he speaks about the first time that he had an encounter with Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Kook. He writes in 1904, I was 21 years old at the time, and here I heard the Rav, it was Shavuos morning, and I heard the Rav referring to Rav Kook reciting the Akdamos before congregation, a tremble and weeping. And I was shaken to the foundation of my soul. From that moment on, I clung to him with fierce love, and I was his student and disciple forever. I felt seized by a godly flame. All of my physicality scattered and gone and my soul bound with the rubs rising to the very highest worlds. That was his first encounter with Rav Kook. Rav Charlap has a beautiful sefer where he goes through the entire Siddur. This is something that I recommend um, for all of us. 
He has a piece where he speaks about Lechadodi. Lechadodi, we sing every Friday night the mystical, Kabbalistic poem composed by Rabbi Shlomo al Kabitz and Svas in the 1500s. So there's one stanza we say, Yominu small tifrotzi. Right and left you shall spread out. Ve'es Hashem taritzi. And Hashem you will revere. Al yad ish ben partzi. Through the man, ben partzi, the descendant of Peretz. That's a reference to, to David and Mashiach, who come from Peretz. And we shall rejoice and we will be glad. Come, my beloved. Who is the beloved, by the way, in this song? Hashem, right? What a chutzpah! Come, my beloved. You're speaking to the infinite creator of the universe, the master of Kol Olamos? And the answer is yes. Because that's the relationship we have. Lechadodi, come my beloved. Likras Kala. We're going to go together to, uh, to greet the queen, the Kala of Shabbos, Pnei Shabbos, Nikabala. So, Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap was bothered by why do we refer to Mashiach, David, as Ben Partsi? There's got to be something more there. Partsi or Peretz means to explode out, right? To break through barriers. We have the, the words Tznius and Pritzus. Tznius is modesty, and Pritzus means I'm breaking, I'm, I'm breaching those guidelines of what's considered appropriate. Ben Partsi, he explains as follows. All his Yisrael. All of the, the breakdown of traditional values that we've seen in Klal Yisrael, and again, he's writing this in the early 1900s. Don't think that it's coming from a foreign fire. Don't think it's all just the lack of care and concern for Torah. But the truth is, if you look deeper, it's Shorosha Bikdusha. The root of the hispartsus, the root of this, of this explosion outside of the normal bounds and, and expectations, it's coming from a desire to be totally unfettered. That's coming from a pure fire if you look deep enough. And Partsi were referring to the times of Geula, of redemption of Mashiach, as a time where there's going to be a total explosion out of the confines and limitations of our neshamos of all the things that are holding us back now. That's the time of spirit. We're covered in schmutz and chotrech and darkness and dirt. It's all maybe goel, as we say in every Shmona Esrei, Hashem is not going to bring the geula, but it's maybe goel every process of our lives as Yechidim, as individuals, as families, as communities, as Am Yisrael, it's all part of the process of Geula, of redemption. Sometimes it's the roots that are growing deeper and deeper into the soil, but it's all with the mindset, all with the goal of knowing this will sprout forth in an awesome, majestic way. And that's why whenever we speak about Mashiach and we speak about times of Geula, we always use the expression of Tzmicha, Right, the sprouting forth. 
like to take some of these more lofty concepts and try to apply them in a more down-to-earth way. The Mishnah Prakiyavos tells us that Ehov es ha You have to love work. What does it mean to love work? Right? How many Americans actually love their jobs? I was speaking to somebody just last week and he was complaining about his particular Parnassah situation. It happens to be Baruch Hashem, he, he is making a living, he is able to provide for his family, which nowadays cannot be taken for granted. And uh, like any situation, it's rough, and the guy in charge has no respect for me, and they're doing things that are not so ehrlich, not so honest, and the people in the office, okay, we all have complaints. One saw a poll that there are more than 70% of all Americans will tell you they really dislike their profession. So like what you're doing, you should know you're extremely blessed, right? So Ehov Esim Malacha, though, the, the guidelines or the instructions of the Mishnah is not saying make sure to love your job. That's a breath if you love your job. But it's saying love the idea, love the concept of working, of being productive. The Rebbe Yonah explains, he says, sometimes we have this misunderstanding where we all want to be happy, we all want to be comfortable, and we all want to be with menuchas and nefesh, with a sense of tranquility and ease. If we live a life, though, where we're always chilling out, so to speak, that will be our downfall. That will lead to both physical and emotional paralysis. Listen to the words of the Rebbe Yonah in source number 10. Kashehu margol evarav lehitzbatel min melacha when we accustom ourselves not to push, not to work, not to move with alacrity, but to take any possible uh, option to do less. I could just walk the block, but instead I'm going to drive because my car's right here, I might as well. That's why recently I've been trying to, to walk as much as possible to shul because I have absolutely no excuse not to. The only problem is when I'm running late, which does happen once in a while, not late, late, but you know, two minutes to get there, then the rationales start coming. If I walk, I'm going to be a little bit late. That might be a chilo Hashem, I have to drive. But ideally, we got to move around. If we don't, manu yodav ki What will happen? I won't be able to move when I want to. I won't be able to do the things I want to do. My freedom, which I'm striving for and I'm longing for, the comfort in life will be compromised because I don't get it. I think when I'm just sitting there and doing nothing, that will bring manucha, that will bring tranquility. But it's the exact opposite. How do I really have that sense of serenity? Through yagia, through working. If I work, if I push myself, if I'm energetic, if I somehow create that 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 feeling of zrizus within me, that brings real menucha. And here's the famous line, it's impossible to achieve real rest, tranquility, without working very, very hard beforehand. 
remember speaking to somebody years back where they uh, started violin lessons when they were a young boy and they told me in the beginning they really had no interest it was more his mother's thing that she wanted him to get into it and to learn an instrument and she had this obsession with the violin so he did it because he had to and he said for about a year and a half I would be made to practice and I resented the violin and I resented mom and dad for making me do this however as I got better I didn't mind it that much right understandably so so I kept on trying and uh, it got to a point where my parents did not have to remind me but I would go up to my room even before doing homework this was my outlet now and as I got older, he told me, not only was it a hobby, something I enjoyed doing, but it became the focus of my life to the point where if I was without my violin for too long, I would start feeling that I'm just lacking part of myself. The greatest freedom, that's what he said, the greatest freedom that I experience now in life is when I'm able to lose myself in the music. Right? And if you've, if you've seen, you know, someone like a Yitzchak Perlman, right? I, I was Zoha to see him perform live many years ago. And when he's there and he's just getting into the zone, there's an envy you have. It, it looks so incredibly attractive. I would love to do that at least once in my life, to be in that frame of mind. That's the ultimate freedom. How does that freedom present itself? It's only through Yagiya Tachila, it's only through working very hard beforehand to be able to allow myself to experience Chayrus in that way. Mastery is a sense of freedom, but mastery only comes through discipline. Ruchim. Levavitz, who was the great Machkiach of the Mir Yeshiva, we quote him often. <clears throat> he really has a similar idea to the Rabbeinu Yonah, where he comments on last parsha that the bracha given to Yisachar, Yisachar we know was the tribe that was renowned for their devotion and their commitment to Torah learning. So the verse says, Vayar Manucha Kitov, Yisachar, they saw tranquility, and it was good. V'yet shichma lisbol, but what did they do? They inclined their shoulder to carry the burden of Torah. So they saw that manucha was a good thing, was a positive thing, but yet they were devoting themselves and subjugating themselves to a Torah lifestyle. Right, so one simple interpretation would be, even though they saw how nice it would be to rest and have a life that was more calm and relaxed, but they said, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to pursue a life of all Torah study. Says Rebbe Yeruchim, that's not how to read the Pasuk. It's because rather they saw Menucha and they understood that a real deep sense of Menucha and Nefesh 
of, of the serenity of the soul, it's not just a bonus, it's not just a nice thing to have in life, but this is the basis, this is the foundation for real growth and real avodas Hashem. I have to have that menuchas and nefesh. Therefore, Vayat Shechmo Lisbo, they knew the only way to get there was to be totally committed to work hard every day of their lives because the Yagiya, the Avoda, the Amelus, the toil, that's the only way to come to a mastery. And when there's mastery of any aspect of life, if it's playing the violin or if it's a mastery of Limit HaTorah, Lahavdil, different worlds, but that brings a sense of freedom, that brings liberation, that brings a sense of menuchas HaNefesh. When it comes to our spiritual struggles, when it comes to our emotional struggles, I think this concept of being able to view the suffering as the iron crucible, as the korha barzil, as the seed that's decaying, that's being smushed in the soil, but this is my Pesach, this is my opening for greatness. Ever have that perspective while going through something extremely difficult? Is almost impossible. However, the more we're able to look back on life and to try to have this perspective going ahead in life, it can make it somewhat more realistic. I was speaking a good friend of mine this past week who lost his grandfather. His grandfather was 100 years old, Mr. Schlesinger, and uh, he, was, he was a Holocaust survivor and he was really known throughout the whole tri-state area and probably much of America for some of his stories, some of his insights. I heard him speak many, many years ago on a Tishabov. And I was speaking to my, my friend and he was sharing with me a little bit about his grandfather. It was, a, it was a devastating loss for the family because they were all extremely close. And he was really the, you know, he was the, the patriarch of the family. So he told me that even into his upper 90s, where life was so incredibly difficult, and you know, all the basic, the basic things we take for granted, just trying to move from here to here, trying to, to put on these were all things that took a malice and toil and effort. Whenever you would ask Mr. Schlesinger, how are you? How's Zadie? The response was always with a smile. Chaste Hashem. Baruch Hashem. How are you feeling? Gvaldik. Gvaldik. Right? Do you know how easy it is to fall into such a deep depression when you're old and things are not working anymore and everything I'm trying to do in life is so incredibly hard and there's pain 24-7 that you can't just get rid of. It's a whole different existence and I know that my end is coming very soon. To stay with the Simcha Sachayim, to stay with the sense of, of appreciation and gratitude, to be able to say from a genuine, authentic source, Chaste Hashem, Gvaldik, Baruch Hashem, things are great. How are things great? They're great because he understood more than most mortal human beings. This is all part of the process. 
every step of my life, every aspect of the Yusurim, of the struggle, of the suffering, it's changing me, it's transforming me, but I'm still here. And he had, he had explosive hakaris atov for the, the, the miracles that he himself went through to be able to stay alive and to be able to now have Baruch Hashem many, many generations of Jews who are attached and who are, who are sharing Torah with the masses. So when it comes to our personal struggles and our, our questions or our doubts or our ups and downs in, in spiritual pursuits, this, this perception, this, this perspective is so incredibly necess- necessary. Rav Huttner has a famous letter, which we've shared different parts of this many times in the past. But he says, We know that Shlomo HaMelech writes, Sheva Yipul Tzadik Vikam, that the righteous man will fall seven times and he gets back up. The Tipshim, the foolish people, interpret this to mean, Afalpi. But even though you've fallen seven times, nonetheless, you're still able to get up. And that's why you're so incredibly righteous. Because even though you keep on failing, you're still able to pull yourself back up. Says Rav Hutner, that's not how you understand the words of Shlomo HaMelech. Rather, what he's telling us is, it's because you fall seven times. Because you find yourself with your face flat in the mud over and over again, that's why you are a tzaddik. That's why you have the potential to be this incredible human being. It's not even though I've been through issues and and, and this relationship is holding me back and I've had that hassle and the financial piece of life has been devastating. But even with all of that, I can still focus on Torah. It's not even though. It's because of. Because of the challenges and the struggles personally that I have to go through, this will give me the opportunity to transform myself to become a different, more elevated human being. The stipler gone, Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, there are two letters, has three volumes of different letters that he wrote to many people throughout the years. But there are two letters here where he makes this point in an extremely powerful way. Both seem to be addressing people who are going through dark times in their life, in their personal lives. And in one letter he says, this is a source number 13, letter Samach, Kol echad yeshlo yemeyelios You should realize you're not alone. What you're going through right now is not unique. Every human being has his ups and his downs. And for sure, when you're younger, and you're trying to find yourself, and you're trying to create an identity, you'll have many ups and downs. Life can be a roller coaster. But your main service of God, who bizman hanafila? It's when you're down. Your main accomplishments in Ruchnius is when you've fallen. Then you're not feeling great about yourself. You're not getting praise from everybody around you. You're not getting the external validation. That's your Ikar Avodas Hashem. That's your main opportunity to get closer to God. 
He says, when things are going smooth, and Baruch Hashem, life is going well, we have blessings, we appreciate the family, we appreciate community, we appreciate friends, I'm learning my daf yomi, I'm learning this, I'm going to shul, everything is geschmack. That is a tremendous blessing. However, oftentimes that could lead to a state of complacency, to a feeling of, of some level of gaiva, some level of arrogance, where I'm, I'm not being pushed, I'm not being tested, and therefore I go on to my, my autopilot mode. I'm not really thinking so much. I remember back in yeshiva, I, I spoke to many different guys from all walks of life. And when I was an older fellow in yeshiva, and I was to younger guys who were trying to find their way, and everyone had their own unique situation, their own unique struggles. Some of the guys who were not doing well, you know, at least from the third-party perspective, they weren't the ones sitting in the front row during the shear. They weren't asking the great questions during class. They didn't quite understand everything that was being said, but yet the guy sitting next to them seems to be following every step at lightning speed. It could be a very competitive, very difficult environment. People who've never gone to yeshiva before, they view it as just this blissful, wonderful oasis. Ah, young Torah scholars being able to converse, learning, and drinking coffee, and machshava, mukos, deep thought. Ah, that's the life. Every environment has its challenges. But what I saw personally is that the people were having the most difficult time in yeshiva, often they were the individuals who had the greatest aliyah, the greatest transcendence, because they were being pushed. Things were not going so smoothly. They weren't getting all of the respect and the, and the validation and the admiration. And therefore, I do have questions, and I'm not sure if this is for me. That means the seed is starting to decay a little bit. That means there's potential now for it to take root and then to sprout. And the human being you could become 10, 20 years later by being pushed, by being prodded, by being stepped on, you could be an entirely different angelic human being. When things are going smoothly, we don't have that same opportunity. In the second letter, the stipler writes along the same lines, Iker avodas habore yisborach, our main service of Hashem, who bizman hanafila is the time when we're down, ukishim mischazek bizman achoshech, and when we're able to somehow galvanize ourselves, to strengthen ourselves at a time of darkness and confusion, He's promising us if we could keep that strength, keep that clarity, even when things are so incredibly dark, you will be Zoha, you will merit clarity like you've never imagined. That's the iron crucible. If Nachman Mibraslav has a very profound, very inspiring piece where he speaks about a feeling that I think many of us have had and perhaps we do right now. 
he's talking about the person beginning his journey. Now, to begin your journey doesn't just mean I come from a non-religious background and now I'm getting more into things, I'm getting to be more of a Balchuva. It doesn't just mean someone who's not Jewish at all and thinking about converting. Starting your process of Avodas Hashem could mean I'm 54 years old and I've been from my entire life but, but I don't really feel I've been inside the Torah lifestyle. And now I want to begin that process of real avoda, of real service, of real connection with Hashem, of real tefillah. I want to begin that now. What happens? So he says, psychologically and mystically, our minds start playing games with us. It appears to the person, it's almost as if he's being pushed away from heaven. It's almost as if, as I'm trying to come closer, there's a brick wall, and it becomes so incredibly hard to push through. But then he says, in his poetic, powerful, inspiring language, the truth is, call his rachkos, hurakulo his karvos. Every sense of distance that I'm picking up on, every time I'm asking myself the question, why is it so incredibly hard? Why am I falling prey to the same mistakes that I've been making for 15 years? When I'm feeling that distance, that is your closeness to God. I'll have to elaborate on what that means. He says, It requires us to have stamina, not to give up and to throw in the towel. It requires strength. He says, After working for many years, potentially, and dying for Hashem's help, if we find that we're still entrenched in so many different things that are pulling us away from real Torah, don't let that get you down. And you find everything you want to do. I want to start doing this program. I want to start making it for Shachris. I want to start doing whatever it is I have in mind. And I look back a few days later, like everything else I've resolved to do, again, i failed. I keep on losing faith in myself. Says Rav Nachman, don't let yourself down. Don't feel that just because you're sensing distance, don't think objectively there is a distance. He says, even for the greatest tzaddikim, Right? The most righteous people that ever walked this planet, they also felt the same way you feel. They also felt that no matter how hard I try, I'm just not breaking through. I'm not able to keep my commitments. My mind keeps on wandering. I'm still going online late at night, getting involved with things that I don't want to be doing, and it's bringing me down. But it's a constant struggle. And I make Kabbalahs and I make commitments, but here I am again. Even the greatest tzaddikim, writes Rav Nachman Breslov, they had that same feeling of distance. The only reason they were able to get to the madrega, to the level that they're on now, 
is because they kept on strengthening themselves. They didn't let the illusion of distance keep them away from actually coming closer. He concludes here that you should know kol tenua tenua shehu minatek atzmo ma'at ma'at mingash miyuso. Any little bit I could break myself away from those many things that are shackling me, that are holding me back. And I could somehow turn towards Hashem. Any little tiny thing I could do, is extremely precious and beloved. Even something that's so minuscule. It, it, it doesn't make any difference. It's a little something I'm working on. We have no clue what that means to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. He says the main thing to keep in mind as we really try Likanes to enter into Avoda to real genuine Avoda as a Yismach Ma'od to always try to be Besimcha. Even in the darkness, even in the confusion, I have this Simcha because I'm feeling distant, but I know as long as I'm pushing, as long as I'm davening, as long as I'm trying, I should have that overwhelming feeling of Simcha because I know Hashem is looking at me. And He's saying every tiny little step is huge. That's when the seed begins to sprout. David HaMelech is known for his superhuman bitachon, his faith and his trust in Hashem. There's a Gemara in Brachos that speaks about David singing Shira in five different worlds. Gemara says that Shadar B'chamisha Olamim, he lived in five different worlds, and in each one of those worlds, he was able to sing to Hashem. Now it's an interesting phrase, living in different worlds. We know the beginning of the Mesilas Yesharim says the first thing we need to really think about is Mahovaso Baolamo. What is my responsibility? Baolamo means in my personal world. But from the Gemara and Brachos we see something a little bit deeper. It's not just that I have my reality, I have my bubble and you have your bubble. But there could be different times in life where I'm in a different chapter. In a sense, I'm going through different worlds of reality, but in every single world, the goal is I sing Shira. I'm able to sing to Hashem. The first two worlds the Gemara mentions is when David HaMelech was B'mei Imo, when he was in the womb. Simple understanding of that means when he was looking back many years later, thinking about the incredible miracles that he was the recipient of by his conception and his development in the womb, he was saying, thank you Hashem for everything, all of the billions and billions of factors that had to take place to allow me to be born in a healthy, normal way. The second world that he's saying Shira to Hashem was when he was Yotzer La'aver Olam, when he came out into the world, Gemara says, Nistakel B'Kochavim Umozolos, he looked at the stars and all of the celestial beings, V'Amar Shira. And again, he's saying Shira. So explains the Marsha, it doesn't mean when he was four seconds old, he looked outside and he saw the stars and he was singing. 
But many years later, perhaps decades later, right, he was blown away by the vastness of the, of the universe. But it points out not just the world, not just the, the universe, it was kochavim umazolos, right? The stars and, and the, the galaxies. Says the Marsha, we know Kabbalistically the Gemara tells us that depending on what mazel we're born into, my personality will be determined based on the time I'm born based on the influences of what's going on in outer space, that will determine what kind of personality I have. David HaMelech, we know, was born with a particularly aggressive personality. Shofeich Damin, says the Marsha. He wasn't just saying, thank you, Hashem, for this beautiful and magnificent and, 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 and just gorgeous universe. He was saying, thank you, Hashem, for allowing me to be born with this particular unique personality. A personality of, of aggression. Now ultimately that led to his success. That allowed him to be the great Manhig Yisrael, the leader of the Jewish people. But I guarantee you, having that particular aggressive, violent personality was probably one of the greatest struggles in his life as an individual. Yet the Gemara is saying he was able to look into that world, look into how he was created with his own flaws, with his imperfections, with his potential for greatness and say, Shira Hashem, I want to sing to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because the way you've created me is the way that I needed to be. Much of that was difficult. I would have perhaps, uh, if I had to vote, I might have voted on a different tachunas nefesh, a different personality. But I thank you for what you've given me. Where does the obligation of gratitude come from? What part in the Torah can you say, we derive from here, there's an obligation to say, thank you, Hashem, for everything I've received. So the Rebbe Yonah quotes a surprising <coughs> Pasuk. The Rebbe Yonah says, we have a Torah responsibility to be able to look back into our lives and express gratitude to Hashem. And that comes from a verse in Parshas Akev. Parshas Akev is source number 18. The Torah tells us, You should remember the 40 years that Hashem has led you in the desert. Why did He do this? Why did He lead you through the desert? It wasn't to make things comfortable. It wasn't to have a cushy lifestyle. It was in order to afflict you and to test you to see whether or not we were real, we were genuine with our commitment. That says the Rebbeinu Yonah, that's the source of the mitzvah to have hakara satov. Right? Remembering when we were in the desert, when Hashem afflicted us and He was testing us to, to figure out what kind of metal we were made out of. Why am I thankful for that? 
I'm thankful for the Inui. I'm thankful for the affliction. But what the Rabbeinu Yonah is trying to tell us is that the mitzvah of having the, this feeling of gratitude, of being able to, to sing to Hashem, it's not just when I look back on life and I think about the positive moments, when I think about those people who've influenced me in such an amazing way, when I think about my grandparents or my great-grandparents, or I think about my accomplishments, it's when I think about the times where I fell flat on my face and I was experiencing real inui, real suffering. And at the time, I had no clue as to why I had to be going through this. And I still have no clue as to why I had to go through that. But we're not here to address the answer of why. We're here to understand the how. What do I do with that? I sing Shira Lashem because I know. I don't know how, but I know this made me the man I am today. Having to go through those challenges, to go through that form of suffering that somehow was the breaking down, the germination of the seed that allowed for the sprouting of a person that I never could have been otherwise. There's an amazing story with Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan, when he would go to a, a home of Shiva, the Gemara and Bracho says, he would take with him a bone of one of his own children. Rabbi Yochanan himself went through a, a life that is, is unimaginable of suffering. He lost 10 of his children, 10 sons. He would take the bone with him and he would use that as a way of consoling mourners. Rashi says, why did he keep it on him all the time? It wasn't just that he had his, his place in his house, I'm now going to the river, uh, take the, uh, the bone with me, whatever exactly he did is, is a discussion. But he kept it on him all the time. Listen to the words of Rashi. Rashi says, Tsar etzim pochos mikisa'ora, he had this small bone with him, wrapped up in a suda, wrapped up in a cloth, la'agmas nefesh. You know what agmas nefesh means? To bring him pain. To bring him pain. What a strange thing. You're a masochist? <laughs> You're trying to hurt yourself? Uh, obviously, you never forget a, a, a tragedy, but we have to move on in life. It sounds so incredibly unhealthy. He had this bone with him of, of one of his children. La'atmas nefesh? Why does he want to bring himself tsar? I think the idea here is he would use it for helping to, to comfort mourners, but he also used it for himself to create some level of agmas nefesh because he was reminding himself that although I, the great Rabbi Yochanan, have no clue as to why we had to go through all of the suffering we've been through, the one thing I do know is that whatever I've accomplished, whoever I've become over these last many years, it's because of the life and the inui that I've been through. Laman la nosecha. Somehow this made me the man that I am today. I don't have philosophical reasons to explain it, but I know this is who I am based on the life that I've lived.
So we start Sefer Shmos. We have an insight from the Rashbi and the Arizal as to why the Jewish people as a nation had to go into this Kurhar Barzel, this iron crucible. But we see that in every aspect of our lives, not just as Klal Yisrael, but as Yechidim, as individuals, we may not have answers for why things happen, but the perspective should always be as much as humanly possible. In all the different worlds that I'm in, and we're all in many different chapters in life, I'm able to sing Shira. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give us the ability, give us the clarity, give us the wisdom to be able to say, this has made me the person I am today, and the challenge that I'm experiencing right now will make me the person I am tomorrow. I'm going to